Hey everybody, Dr. Axe here. Uh, man, I'm excited about today's podcast and today's guest. We have Peter Crone, and we're gonna talk a lot about how to free your mind today. We're gonna talk about spiritual health, emotional health, and how this really affects our physical health today. And Peter Crone is what we call a, a mental architect. He's gonna help you uh, really change your way of thinking. And there's a Bible verse I love. It's Romans 12, 2, and it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And listen, if you want to beat health conditions, if you want to be more successful in life, in your relationships, and just be happier, changing the way you think and overcoming mental barriers is just so important. So, so excited to have uh, Peter, uh, Peter on the show today. Peter, welcome. Thank you for having me on, my friend. A pleasure to connect. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, same here. Well, you know, I know that you've had a chance to work with some incredible people. You know, we, we were talking before uh, the broadcast here, and I know you've worked with people like Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, lots of professional athletes, helping yeah. them perform at the highest level. And so one of the things that I know from working with thousands of patients over the years and also working with leaders is that some of the biggest things that get in our way and keep us from achieving success in our health and in our careers happens to be mental barriers. And I can tell you, you know, if I'm taking care of a patient with autoimmune disease or inflammatory bowel disease or even cancer, I actually believe this and my audience knows this, but more than 50% of it is, is, is mental. Yeah. To where a lot of times people think, oh, it's diet. Hey, if you come down with this health problem, it's a dietary issue. Diet plays a role, but I just wanted to just start this off by saying, I actually think that worry, grief, depression, fear, mm -hmm. you know, all of these issues, unforgiveness, these things are bigger issues uh, than what we eat actually when it comes to what affects our physical health. So I know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but I did yeah. want to start off saying that. And I'd love to hear your take on how true have you found that in working with people over the years, how often is their biggest barrier to success uh, a mental issue? Because I think about this too, how many talented golfers there are or professional athletes who never succeed or never win, you know, a major championship because, you know, these, these mental roadblocks. Yeah. I mean, I'm biased as the mind architect, but I, um, you know, I think anyone worth their salt as it relates to mind body education recognizes the hierarchy of how psychology informs states, right? Like our, what we could call our emotions or our feelings, and then that cascades into our physiology. So I like to use analogies. I think it helps people to really get simple visuals. Um, imagine we lived in a 600 square foot studio apartment. And when we first got it, we saw it as an opportunity. Maybe it was near the beach or something and it had good potential, but you know, the walls were pretty shaky and maybe there was a bit of mold behind the drywall. The carpet was for sure like really shoddy and sort of stuff you wouldn't really want to touch barefoot. But we bought the unit and we upgraded it. We tore out the carpet, put in some nice wood floor. We re remediated whatever mold there was. We put in a new fresh piece of paint and we put in some beautiful furniture, right? So we could argue that what we did was we really upgraded that space. That would be akin to somebody changing their diet, eating better food, getting away from GMO, glyphosate covered junk, you know, starting to eat local farmer's market produce. Uh, they stop drinking sodas, alcohol. They're not using nicotine. They're like having more exercise and movement in their life. They're getting some sun exposure. That would be the quote unquote improvement, right? But the analogy points to we're still living in a 600 square foot space, right? We're not going to hold 
a wedding reception for 200 people in there. We're not going to have a big conference meeting for this startup business of 50 entrepreneurs. It's just not, the space doesn't allow it. So psychology and limiting beliefs of the subconscious represent the walls of that 600 square foot apartment. So that's why to me it's paramount until such time that you expand the space within which we function between our ears, then you can have all of the greatest behavioral patterns in the world. And I get to work with these people, right? They have unlimited resources. They might have a trainer, a private chef. They're certainly not wanting for anything materially. But if there's still deep-seated uh, feelings of inadequacy because of how they were raised, they still have anger towards their father, they still have a feeling of failure because of what happened in high school, they still have heartbreak because of the one that got away, then you know they could have fresh uh, chef-prepared organic food all day, but their system is in a state of fight or flight and in a fundamental relationship of resistance to life, which creates stress, worry, anxiety, and the litany of emotions that you listed. So. That's why it's paramount. If you don't knock down the walls of your psychology, then you don't open up to the possibility of your true health, wealth, and happiness. You know, I think there's so much wisdom here. And I want to mention one of the things that I was so excited about when I jumped on your web start, started reading about your background is knowing you're also an Ayurvedic practitioner. And so you have studied some nutrition, you understand, yes. uh, you know, you, you, you understand this, this connection between diet and our physical health, but also mental health and our physical health. And so, yeah. you know, what you're sharing too, I mean, these are principles that ancient practitioners looked at. You know, if we're looking at an ancient Ayurvedic or I've studied a lot more Chinese medicine, TCM, the five elements, but it's yeah. a very similar, very similar concepts in that, you know, the emotion of grief or loss actually yeah. completely weakens the immune system, you know, and how yeah. that affects people over time. But, yeah. but you know, I, I wanted to hear um, how exactly do you see, I guess, this, this, have you worked with people, you know, I, I know you've worked a lot with people seeing success in different areas of their life. How much have you worked with people in overcoming physical conditions? Um, or have you worked, do you have a few examples of, hey, this person was struggling with this issue, it was health related, and you gave yeah. them some coaching and you saw a breakthrough, maybe without diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a whole list. In fact, there's um, one of one of the podcasts I did was a guy called Cohen Ray in Australia, and it got so much attention because this was purely spontaneous. I didn't know that he was going to ask me this, but he had uh, orbital dermatitis right around his eyes. So basically, in lay terms, he had this really bad rash on either side of his eyes, and he'd struggled with that for quite a while. And it had been um, intermittent, like he'd had it before previous years, and now it'd come back, and it had been. In this particular occurrence where I was sitting with him in a hotel doing, doing the show, uh, he'd had it for a few months. So, you know, towards the end of the uh, podcast, we got to get familiar. He was starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in front of uh, Peter Crone, the mine architect. So we did a little bit more deep diving. And um, what was beautiful is that his social people uh, captured and recorded obviously the show, but then they, they, the series of events that transpired that evening and the next day where about 70-80% of the dermatitis had gone. Now, that seems to most people like a pure miracle. And they did an incredible job. I'm actually probably going to be posting it soon where um, it shows how the trapped anger and judgment and friction that he had from his parents separating, this is all disclosed during the podcast, so none of this is confidential, um, was creating so much in Ayurvedic terms, pitta or heat, right? Obviously, there's yep. fire and TCM too. So there was too much heat in his system. 
fire tends to travel through the blood, the liver, the gallbladder, the skin, and the eyes. And so, and heat also rises, right? So when people get migraines, invariably it's up here. Um, and equally when there's skin irritation, it tends to be around the face. And so his particular was around the eyes. So we actually remediated, talking about mold earlier, but the anger that was in his system, the hurt that was this little boy that he felt that his whole family unit had dissipated and it left him feeling very vulnerable. And he put immense pressure on himself under the impression that he had to make sure he never did that as he grew up and became a family member himself. So there was just all of this internal tension and friction, which manifested even in his physicality. Like he was quite a bulky guy who was very self-defensive. He's a big sweetheart underneath it, as most, you know, sort of bulky guys are as a form of self-protection. So that's one really powerful incident that actually got captured where his dermatitis, and then within about three days, the whole thing had gone. And he'd been trying everything from gallbladder flushes to changing his diet to fasting, but it was the emotional component that never actually got reconciled. So, you know, that's one. I mean, there's... There's not one person I help. They may not have some sort of uh, diagnosed disease or no. issue, but everything from multiple sclerosis to rheumatoid arthritis. I was talking to a client literally yesterday who's got rheumatoid arthritis, and I was helping her understand that any kind of inflammation between the joints is invariably a reflection of inflammation between where you join in relationship. Mm -hmm. And she was so blown away. She said, you just completely described all of my relationships. There's a friction, there's an aggravation. And once we reconcile that, I'll talk to her again in a few days. I'll see where she's at. I'm not expecting the rheumatoid arthritis to vanish, but I promise it will dissipate because she would have absolutely shifted and transformed the way she's relating to people in her life, no longer from a position of she's less than or she's not wanted or she's dismissed, but now she creates affinity and sort of this smooth intimacy between everybody who's important in her life, which will then, I, my prediction is that will cascade into her physicality. So I love it. This is so powerful. And I just want to say too, it's so spot on because even what you're describing, and you know this because you'd mentioned this, but just for everyone listening, when somebody has a rash around their eyes, the eyes are related to the liver and gallbladder mm -hmm. in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. And so when you have an issue there, it tends to be related to past emotions of resentment and unforgiveness, a lot of the times related to your parents. And so anyways, just incredible. Yeah. Just and anger, a lot of anger gets trapped in the it, liver. Yeah, exactly. Ang anger is the number one uh, emotion yeah. related to liver uh, toxicity and health. So, so good. You know, one yeah, of the things yeah. I want to ask about is, and I know this is so important, um, you know, building happiness and joy in our lives. I think that's one of the things that, you know, when I work with, with patients and people uh, still today, um, and by the way, I had my clinic in the past. I no longer, you know, operate that clinic and take care of patients in that way, but I still, you know, work with some people on occasion. That being said, you know, a lot of people today are living in fear. They have a lack of hope. And so I think yeah. focusing on some of these positive emotions, but what are some of the biggest things that are sort of blocking us from having, you know, emotional freedom in our life and that are keeping us from truly being happy? Uh, that's a big question. That could probably take the entirety of our conversation. Uh, so in Ayurveda, you know, one of the things that I love about the system, as you said, this is a 5,000 plus year old science that to be honest, makes the Western system look like child's play, right? Like we call that's it right. a healthcare system. It's got nothing to do with health. That's not to in any way dismiss it. It's incredible if it's like a triage situation, like acute intervention, emergency. If I'm in a car accident, I'll be the first to say, rush me to the ER. 
but it is such a disservice as it relates to what it means to be a healthy human being because they are sick care and disease care specialists, right? A doctor is a specialist in pathology and then learns pharmacology as a form of treatment. I'm a specialist and I would assert you are in health, right? That's the other end of the mm -hmm. spectrum. It's not to say that we don't need it. It's just I think there needs to be a complete reframe as to what it means to be taken care of from healthcare practitioners versus focusing on sickness and then using these refill methods of drug um, prescriptions that don't actually resolve anything. They just manage symptoms, right? So for me, in Ayurveda, why it's such a powerful science, the most revered doctor is the one that doesn't have any patients. Right, meaning clients, because he's he's yeah. he's educated his community on what it means to be healthy. Whereas over here, it's like, oh, you know, which doctor does everyone go and see? It's like, you know, yeah. who has the best practice? It's like, well, how good could he be if he's constantly busy, right? So anyway, that aside, the point I'm leading to is there's a beautiful thing called samprapti, which is the six stages of disease. And why I'm speaking to this as it relates to your question is the first stage of dis-ease, and I love the word dis-ease, the absence of ease, because that speaks to the psychology is accumulation. So accumulation, in this case through Ayurveda, we're talking about Vata, Pitta, Kapha, which are these qualities of air, fire, or earth, you know, because of a lifestyle where, let's say, air, we travel too much, our sleep is erratic, our meal times are off, there's too much movement. Air is the quality of movement. So somebody becomes constipated, dry skin, they've got insomnia, you know, they feel much more emotion. That's somebody who's got a Vata imbalance. Uh, that's the accumulation of too much air in their nervous system. Too much fire, pitta, will show up as inflammatory disorders, like someone's stressed, they're frustrated, they got skin breakouts, maybe loose stools, acid reflux, heartburn, they got frustration, et cetera, et cetera. There's too much heat in the system. So as it relates to your question about happiness, what blocks? Invariably, it's not about how do we build happiness, it's about how do we dissolve and remove that which is in the way of the inherent happiness that I believe is our birthright is the way I would put it, right? So happiness is, you don't teach a little kid how to be happy. What they learn is to be unhappy, <laughs> right? It's a learned mechanism like fear or hatred, you know, we, we see all of the oppression in the world. Love is, I would assert, our, our na natural state. And then through belief systems, education from parents, teachers, media, people learn to deviate away from what is innate. So that relates to happiness, love, health. So for me, it's much more a dissolution process. One of my catchphrases for my work, I say, I don't solve people's problems, I dissolve them. Mm -hmm. right? So it's about removing that which is in the way of what is already our inherent birthright, in this case, whether we're talking about vitality or we're talking about happiness. So happiness to me is there. What we can do is look, okay, what have you accumulated, stage one of disease, that now is an aggravant, stage two of disease, in the way of what is otherwise a natural state of being. So hope wow. that makes sense. No, it, <laughs> it, makes, it, makes, it makes total sense. No, it makes total sense. I didn't want to say this because I know I have people on here who come in with different, um, different philosophies. I just wanted to share mine. You know, for, for my, mine is a little bit more in terms of um, uh, biblically speaking. But for me, yeah. you know, when we're talking about, uh, you know, this state of joy, you know, it, it's yeah. uh, and, and for, from what I uh, you know, from everything I've seen uh, come to fruit in my life, it's so much being in uh, the presence of God is what, what you know is what the Bible quotes is being your ultimate joy, and then also having deep intimate connection with other people. And I think that's yeah. been such a challenge in the world today. Thinking about this, okay, do you have a deep connection with God? Do you have a deep yeah. connection with the people 
in the world today with your, if you are married, your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, to your neighbor, to your community, having these deep, yeah. intimate relationships where there's this, you know, love, as it talks about in the Bible, the sense of like sacrificial love where everybody's sacrificing, loving each other and mm -hmm. supporting each other in that way. All that being said, you know, how much is, you know, the time period we're in today where it's lack of connection, lack of true connection. Maybe somebody's doing a Zoom call or somebody's on social media, but today yeah. there's such a lack of face-to-face -face community, this intimate connection with a lot of people. How, yeah. how important is actual community to being healthy? And, and what, what are your thoughts on some of what I just shared in terms of community, connection to each other, and, and maybe the challenge of that today? Um, I mean, it's as important as me saying it's paramount. It's primal. It's, you know, having a sense of belonging is, it's innate, right? Uh, I would, I would assert even with the work that I do, one of the predominant driving forces when I'm helping people dissolve their quote unquote psychological and emotional disease is a deep longing for love and acceptance. Mm. You know, within each adult that I work with, however, like, you know, wealthy, famous or whatever sta status they have, Invariably, what I'm helping, quote unquote, heal or bring to the surface for integration is a child that never felt loved and accepted. Mm. And it breaks my heart as somebody who's just very, you know, sensitive and caring um, to think of how many children are dismissed. Now, there's a, there's a whole cascade of uh, different forms of abuse, right? Like, obviously, we've got the heinous abhorrent forms of sexual abuse that happen, unfortunately, to children. We've got physical abuse, people, you know, kids being hit. We've got verbal abuse, kids being, you know, spoken at in um, hostile terms or with raised voices, which is very scary to a child. But one thing that I want to add that most people often uh, sort of neglect to include is just the absence of love. So what that means is it might look like on the surface, the kid is not being abused, but in the absence of love, meaning that they're not fully seen, they're not fully held, they're not fully made to feel safe or valued, that to me is a form of abuse. And so when I'm helping people, it is still that aspect of a human being's soul and their psyche that is looking to be held. You know, one of my mm -hmm. quotes, I say, the ego doesn't want to be healed, it wants to be held. And so it is paramount have a sense of belonging in whatever form that is it could be an intimate one-on-one -on -one connection you know and this is why a lot of people get a lot of sat satisfaction from pets even right like they find that connection with another sentient being um there's a sense of belonging and community there albeit just maybe one-on-one -on -one. whether it be your local church group whether it be your local yoga class whether it be your local farmer's market whatever it is uh, we as human beings are wired uh, to um, have a sense of belonging in community. And it goes further, right? There's even the second law of thermodynamics in physics, which is that any body that is put into isolation is going to degenerate, right? So what is the ultimate mm. form? That's a law of physics. So when you take an object and put it into isolation, there's this de de deleterious effect. So what is the ultimate form of, we could say, um, punishment for a human being is solitary confinement in prison, right? It's not enough to be in prison. Now you're put into solitary confinement. And what happens there is literally somebody loses their mind. They're clawing their face. They're pulling out their own uh, fingernails. So that's obviously an extreme version of what is happening for so many people right now who are in their own version of solitary confinement. And it's leading to the spike in suicides, the immense amount of depression, anxiety, fear. 
that to me far outweighs any of the damage of a virus that is going to be integrated before we know it and a 99 point whatever seven percent of us are going to survive so you know so that's that's where i stand on that whole thing is that the quote unquote uh, reaction to this is um I think appalling the so-called experts out there, you know, whatever you want to believe, whether they have uh, an agenda or not, to me, they are not interested in human health. If they were, they wouldn't shut down mother nature and churches and leave open liquor stores and fast food joints. That makes no sense as it relates to somebody who apparently is interested in your health, right? So there's a, there's a complete conflict of interest combined with the fact that big pharma don't want people to be well because their profits are based on drug sales. That doesn't mean they're bad people. They're a business. Every business wants to make money. But let's just understand what we're dealing with here, not people who actually want you to thrive, but rather people who want to manage your symptoms so that you keep going to fulfill on your prescription every month, right? So... Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're we're completely aligned. I mean, you you know, yeah. you 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 shared my mind right there, and so it's it's so true that um, even what you started saying is that the today's system is not a healthcare system; it's a sick care system, and we we are yeah. good at uh, acute you know acute emergency care, absolutely. But but we're not good at wellness. We're not we're not good at helping people get healthy. And 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 you are absolutely right. It's like the, the cure is worse than the disease, right? It's like yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, liquor stores uh, sales were up, you know, fifty percent, and then you know some of the other sales of other things um, were were even worse. And so all that being said, I'm in complete alignment with you, and just knowing, hey, community is such an important part of us healing, yeah, and being healthy and our joy. You know, I think about yeah. The, the most meaningful experiences of my entire life, none of them were by myself, right? right you know, exactly. like these things that give yeah. me joy, they were with people, you know, and like where we were yeah. sharing this experience together, so yeah. much more meaningful. Hey guys, a lot of people ask me what supplements I take regularly. And one of the top three products I take every single day is SBO Probiotics from Ancient Nutrition. It's the whole food supplement brand I co-founded with Jordan Rubin. Now, I talk about my passion for SBOs, also known as soil-based organisms frequently. In general, SBO probiotics are so important because they are shelf-stable probiotics that are naturally resistant to the harsh environment of our upper digestive tract and our stomach. Now, Ancient Nutrition's SBO probiotics support a healthy digestive system and your immune system. The women's also has clinically studied ashwagandha, which provides support for healthy energy, reduced fatigue, and more. Plus, we add superfoods and herbs for an extra boost. And by the way, that's key. The herbs with the probiotics together, that's the ancient way to create a healthy gut and digestive system. Check out Ancient Nutrition's SBO probiotics online or in store today. And one of the things I think is so important for us to discuss is how we start the healing process. Because if somebody's listening to this and they have, you know, uh, an autoimmune disease or cancer or diabetes or, you know, another medical condition and they're saying, okay, I, I want to start, I want to start healing emotionally so I can heal physically as well. What, yeah. you know, what are some of those steps and what's step one in the, in the subsequent steps in order to start this healing process? 
Great question. And again, I'm a big softie and I love helping people. It might seem easy for me to sit here, like, you know, from what people can tell, I look like a pretty healthy guy. I, they're probably thinking he does pretty well. He's got some nice shit on the shelves behind him. You know, it's like people could think that there's an assumption that my life is, you know, just a breeze. And I first of all want to say it's not. You know, I was orphaned by the age of 17. My mom died of cancer when I was seven. Uh, my dad went to work one day when I was 17, never came back because he was in a fatal accident on a on a ship that capsized and hundreds of people died. So uh, that's not as some form of disclaimer. It's really just to reinforce the fact that I have empathy, compassion, and sympathy for people that, you know, I have been through my fair share of suffering. Um, so to answer your question, um, the first step is acceptance, right? So what much of the suffering and disease, dis-ease that people experience is because we're in a state of resistance. It doesn't have to be an autoimmune disorder. It doesn't have to be diabetes. It doesn't have to be some cancer diagnosis. It could be anything in life, right? I don't like my boss. I don't like my spouse. I don't like my body. I don't like my home. Wherever there is a form of resistance, we're fundamentally saying, I don't want things to be the way they are. Then we are, then we are fundamentally in a state of disease. We're already in a state of the absence of healing because we're, we're in conflict with life. You know from your, you know, your education, that puts us into the sympathetic mode of our nervous system, which is fight or flight, is the common term that most people know. That means that we're dumping cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine into our body. The body can't heal in that state, nor can it digest, right? Digestion is not a priority when you're running away from a figurative bear and trying to save your life. This is stress, as most people call it. So the first thing to recognize is that wherever you are is precisely where you are. And I am not saying that your circumstances are ideal. I may not be condoning some of the behavior that you're exposed to. And I'm not saying it's something that you want. But based on the pure physics of time and space and reality, everybody is where they are with whatever their current circumstance. So if everybody could just take a deep breath and go, okay, I'm here. This is the way it is. I'm 20 pounds overweight. I'm 70 pounds overweight. I have the psoriasis. I have, you know, diabetes. Now, that's stage one. Stage two, then, would be to start to look at language and become responsible. Most people's relationship to life is victimhood, meaning they're under the impression life is happening to them and that they have, quote, unquote, no say. This is why our sick care system has so much power, because apparently you talk to some guy in a lab coat or a girl and they will tell you what to do. So you're really following instructions versus coming from an energy of inspiration, right? I say, I don't tell people what to do, but I hopefully inspire them to see what's possible. That's a totally different interaction. So we start to look at, okay, one, I accept where I am. Two, where can I take responsibility for the current state of affairs in my life, right? Now that, that's an empowering status to take, right? Versus thinking that I am the byproduct of all of these terrible circumstances that happened to me, that's very disempowering where I'm a victim. So now I start to creep into the energy of responsibility. Three would be language. So you said, oh, well, what if somebody has an autoimmune disorder? I would reframe that and say, I don't have an autoimmune disorder. There is an autoimmune disorder. Subtle, yeah. but powerful because it creates space. If I have something, what I'm doing energetically is I'm holding on to it. If I say there is one, then I'm creating an observation of something that feels a little bit distant from me. Now I can start to 
look at, well, what might that be the result of, right? So certainly the resistance is going to be part of it. Autoimmune, attacking oneself, the energy of resistance, whether it be of myself, oh, I'm such an idiot, I'm a loser. All of that dialogue is autoimmune, right? It's just psychological and emotional autoimmune. So where am I being harsh on myself? Where have I learned the patterns of self-destruction, the absence of self-value because of how my dad, my mom, or whoever spoke to me, and now I'm under the impression that I'm some sort of inadequate human being? That's a very diseased mindset, which is going to cascade into our physiology. So accept where you are, take some responsibility for the fact that you have, in ways that you may not be fully aware, for which there's no accountability, but you have nonetheless created the circumstances of your life, And number three, start to look at the languaging you're using in the way that you speak to yourself and you speak about your circumstances, right? Because the ego's number one priority is to be right about itself. So if somebody can fail at something and then turn around and go, see, I told you it was too good to be true, or that always happens to me, all you're doing is justifying your own inadequacy. You get to be right about the circumstances that apparently you don't want. Right? And that's a very powerful distinction that a lot of people don't want to be accountable for. They'd rather be a victim than go, holy shit, I keep fulfilling on the same relationship patterns because I keep being right about the person I'm attracting. Yeah. Then, you know, then beyond that, we start to obviously change behavior. If I start to have self-worth, responsibility, I speak kinder about myself, then I'm going to choose better behaviors and actions that are more indicative of somebody who cares about themselves. I'm going to eat slightly better food. And in that part, the behavioral part, what I want people to understand is it's less about what you do. It's more about what you don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in decent shape. I'm an old guy, but I still got, you know, I've still got the abs and all of that. And people are like, dude, what do you do? I'm like, I, I just don't do what most of the things <laughs> you do. <laughs> right? It's subtle. You know, you you have a six pack. It's just you cover it with a bunch of shit, right? So it's about removing the sodas, the alcohol, the junk foods, the, you know, the processed foods, the glyphosate covered shit, the GMOs. So that behavioral step, step four is really, okay, what am I doing to myself that is a disservice that is detrimental to my health and vitality that I can start to actually eradicate from my life? And that might include people. That might include boxes in your garage. That might include clothes that you've been holding onto forever. Anything that is a cleansing process there is itself energetically healing. So that, you know, I I mean, I've never quite delineated it like that, but I'm pretty sure if people were to follow those steps, they'd get some pretty profound results. Well, it's fantastic. And you said about 30 uh, really profound things there. And so, and I just (laughs) want to head on a couple of them that I think are just so important to us healing. And what one is, you know, again, healing starts with acceptance, okay? And so, and, mm-hmm. and, and part of that acceptance is saying, you know what, I got to change, I got to do things differently, or hey, I've had this issue, I, I need to now take responsibility, ownership, and work on overcoming it. And part of us in helping others heal is having empathy and love towards others, right? And empathy yep. is sort of feeling that pain, getting in a state of understanding, walking in their shoes and thinking, man, that's really hard. Like that's really hard and sort of connecting with them in that way. And I do want to mention this love as we talk about it, not as the media portrays it today. True love is a combination of nourishment and challenging somebody. It's nourishing somebody saying, Hey, I see the best in you. I, you know, I, I, I love you. Hey, you can do this, but also there's a challenging there. If somebody is doing something that's not in alignment with, uh, what, you know, uh, them being their best, 
you need to call yeah. them out on it to a degree and say, hey, you know what? You're better than that. Like, I'm going to help yeah. you. I'm going to support you. So anyways, yeah. I just think, you know, and this is what I love. I can tell like your demeanor and passion. This is how you coach people. This is how you work with people, getting them to be their best as you operate in a spirit of true love, which isn't just, hey, acceptance, you're good, whatever. It's no like no, no, no. you are called to be great and I'm here to help you do that. So anyway, so powerful. You also mentioned language. And I love this, uh, this quote uh, from the Bible. Again, it's life and death is in the power of the tongue. Literally life and death, healing and destruction. And so again, the words that come out of your mouth, and it is incredible. So think about this. Everyone listening, if, if you have an autoimmune disease or you know somebody that does, when you are attacking, it's your, your body's attacking itself. And so mm -hmm. if you're using that language that you know, Peter's talking about here, where you're attacking yourself saying, I'm not smart, or maybe you had a parent in the past tell you you're not good enough or a teacher, and you have that continually on replay in your brain, that is feeding that pattern of self-destruction physically. That's continuing to happen. What he mentioned there, and the other thing, I wanna say this, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. How important is identity? to our physical state and the success in our life. Because, you know, I saw this with patients years ago and I'm thinking about one patient I had and she had fibromyalgia. And literally, I would say her number one or one of her biggest identity factors was, I have fibromyalgia. And it literally became part of her. She constantly talked about yeah. it and I had to tell her, I said, Becky, listen, you can't say that anymore. And also what's interesting about Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine, they didn't diagnose you with a condition. They said, you've got a pattern of imbalance. Yes. You've got too, too little chi and too much yang for hypothyroidism or whatever. But it's like, that's what they did. They never labeled you or slapped you and said, this is your identity. Exactly. And so talk to me about that a little bit because you touched on that. But how important is our identity to healing? I would say it's everything because, you know, identity and at least again, you're going to have your own definition. So I'm making a few assumptions here, but identity as it relates to like our persona so, is no, no, like so, so, self-worth and security, I think are a big part of identity. Um, yes. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's my, that's the way I took it, which is identity really to me is kind of what I'm working on. I'm, I'm revealing for people in the way that they're currently programmed based on their upbringing and their conditioning. So identity, quote unquote, is everything. Persona, you know, even from the Greek understanding of the word is when people actors on a stage would have a face mask and that's how they would perform. And that was the persona. So it's a facade, right? So our identity is something that we take on. Like a baby doesn't know anything about its, its race, its uh, religion, its nationality. It doesn't even know its name, right? These are all things, these are labels that are adorned onto a sentient being that's alive, that's eating, that's sleeping, that's pooping. You know, that is a, a human being exists well before the way they're classified. And if you could really just get that, it's very profound because then you start to see the absolute nonsensical nature of oppression or racism that exists that is learned that is conditioned the hostility that exists between nations and religions is all taught it's not actually inherent right and so if we could steep if we could keep appealing to that which i would assert is love it's reverence of all life right it's reverence mm -hmm. of the sentience of a being is something that warrants respect and honor. Yeah. And so that's where I speak from, which is why to your point about me, you know, thank you for recognizing I do come from love, but my love for my clients, particularly who are, you know, uh, finding me to help them, they're hiring me to be of service. I am a stand for their excellence. And so with my athletes, 
if someone to overhear some of my conversations with my athletes like damn peter crone he's like a big love bug but he'll get in your face you know it's like yeah, yeah because i love you and stop being a child you know because this is not the arena in which we get to be that because you're about to compete right so um but anyway the the identity is how we define ourselves, and that identity is an accumulation of all these narratives that we inherit over time, right? Because dad said this, and mum said money doesn't grow on trees. Well, that 30, 40 year old now seems to struggle with making any kind of good income. Well, really? But that's only an extension of their identity where they're the, under the impression that money is scarce because of what they heard over time. So then of course that is gonna cascade into our physiology. Like you said, if somebody overhears that they're not good enough or they're the one that's last you know, when they're being picked for a soccer team and they feel that that means that who they are is a failure, then that is going to equally manifest in the way that they identify with themselves. And to your point about Becky with the fibromyalgia, you know, there's many, many clients I've had who are certainly very protective of their inadequacies. You know, I can remember working with a professional PGA Tour golfer. This is, you know, elite group of athletes who can do what they can do. And, um, he, we, we had a lot of success and his, his average was about 900,000 to a million a year, doing well as a journeyman. This was quite a while ago. In our first year together, he made uh, $2.1 million. So he made an extra 1.2 million or so. That's wow. good. Doubled. In our second year together, he made 3.5 million. So if you're a company and you're tripling your returns within wow. the space of 24 months, pretty significant, right? Amazing. But he never quite broke through to what we both knew and certainly what he knew he could do. And so he asked me to caddy for him one day and I, I wouldn't normally caddy, you know, he had his own caddy and I'm just sort of preparing him and talking, you know, before and after rounds. And um, I, I'll, never, I'll never forget, and I love the guy still, but, you know, we, we were on the third round, we'd made the cut, we we're in good position. He'd hit a pretty average shot to the green and so he had a long putt. Now, I'm not assuming, you know, everybody on your, uh, your following or your audience are golf fanatics, but... Ideally, you'd like to make the putt in one. That's good. That's normally called a birdie. You know, if you make it in two, it's called a par. But he said to me as I handed him the putter, he said, watch me three putt this. Now, just feel into that, right? So what actually happened, that is an unconscious process of the ego that is feeling pressure and it's scared. So when anyone says anything detrimental, and I love the expression you shared with me today, thank you about like life and death, a, a byproduct of the tongue or born in the tongue. Mm -hmm. um, so he was right there quote, unquote, creating his own demise. But guess what? Even if he did three-putt it, what's the payoff? He got to be right. And so that is what I call a poor man's version of self-worth, right? So when people are saying things that are detrimental to the spirit of their own joy, of their own potential, it is ego that is wanting to hold on to a very defined, limited identity and they, the, the ultimate payoff they get is they still get to be right, even though it's in the face of what their heart desires. And that is incredibly, uh, you know, devastating and sad to witness. So, man, I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff because I think, again, yeah. there, there are little things. And by the way, my, my wife and I are very, very conscious of this because of the way we, we were brought up. Yeah. Uh, but my wife, more than almost anyone I've ever met, to where if we say certain things, we catch each other and she with me saying, you can't say that like 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 okay. really making sure because we realize Beautiful. how vastly important this is in terms yeah. of what you say and little things and i'll give you an example like something that happened in my own life i had a teacher growing up 
uh, I remember her name was Mrs. Noble. And she told me once, she said, Josh, like she said, what do you want to do when you get older? And I said, I didn't, honestly, I hardly knew. I just knew that one time I went to go see this guy who was a physical therapist because I had a sprained ankle as an athlete. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. They're like working out and stuff and whatever. You know, I was in, you know, sixth grade or seventh grade. And I said, you know, physical therapy. And she laughed at me and she said, you'll never get into physical therapy school. You're not smart enough. And I was like, wow. And so literally I had this sort of thing playing in my mind in high school. Like I'm really not that smart. And then I went to college and I wrote this paper and I had this other English teacher and she said, wow, Josh, this is excellent work. Like, Hey, you get an A, like this is brilliant work. And I literally, I I don't know how to say this, but like I, I decided at that moment to do a memory, like a memory transplant. I literally took this, you know, thing, yeah. Mrs. Noble said, replanted it in. And ever since then, I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm brilliant. Like, I may not be good at math, okay? But I'm very <laughs> good at English. I'm good at science. Like, there are certain yeah. things, you know? So yeah. anyways, all that being said, so someone like your client that was dealing with the, put, like, what, 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 what's a training session like? What are some of the things you kind of help them break through? Like, what's some of that process look like? Um, it's a great question. And really, it speaks to the core of my work, right? Which is, I'm looking at it, and it might sound a little bit sort of robotic, but everybody is just programmed no different to technology, right? So, Mrs. Yeah. Noble, God bless her for, like, you know, planting the seed that you're not smart enough. Like, that's not a truth. It's her opinion. And who knows what was going on in her life? She might have had, you know, serious period cramps. She might have had an argument with her husband. Maybe he just left her. Maybe one of her kids was doing drugs. You know, who knows what was going on in her life that made her expression towards a young, innocent sixth, seventh grader seem relatively hostile and detrimental to that to that human being's development potential, right? So we, again, want to have compassion even for her. But it is a beautiful reflection of how powerful language is, right? Because that's what—that's the medium within which I traffic, you could say, is I'm working with language. The mind architect, my form of architecture is words, language. If I live within the construct that I'm not smart, and I literally was just talking to a client about this based on how she was raised in her family by these high intellectual siblings she had, she was a little younger, blah, blah, blah. She, she, she was under the impression that she's not smart. And that became her 600 square foot apartment that I was talking about earlier that then she functioned within, but it's incredibly suffocating, right? So how do we get beyond that? It's very simple, not easy, but it's simple. We have to investigate the validity of the narratives that we live in. I'll say that again. We have to investigate the validity of the narratives that we live in. So my work is, is, is to be able to reveal the, the falsehood of the story. Now, to a little boy, you can't discern between an adult, especially as a teacher who's in a position of authority, telling you that you're not smart enough. You can't go, oh, she's just having a bad day. That's just her narrative and her dialogue. Maybe she doesn't like me personally, but that's not who I am. You, you don't have that ability as a child. So thank God that then you, you know, did well in this other exam or whatever the homework was and you got an A and you had the wherewithal to update your programming, right? But this is why parents and teachers have such immense responsibility in the way that they start to form a child's mind in the way that they perceive themselves. You know, there's a term tabula rasa, which means sort of blank canvas. And I'm not saying that we're all born with a blank canvas. I do assert from a spiritual level, we, we, we are incarnated with our own forms of fears and limitations that we're here to reconcile. That's a much deeper esoteric conversation. But nonetheless, a child is somewhat a clean slate. 
But then if you say this and you say that and it's a limitation, then that human being becomes somebody who is fighting their own dialogue that was inherited. It's not their own. So it's, it's language is, is so powerful. And that's why I ask people to be responsible with it. And even when I said earlier to your question about people dealing with an autoimmune disorder, even the subtlety of I don't have one, there is one, you know, that's language. But what does it do? It creates a little bit of relief. It creates a little bit of freedom and it creates a little bit of possibility that maybe if there is one, there could also be the experience of there isn't one. But if I have one, I'm kind of grabbing onto it and holding it, right? So, so that's really the exercise is, is reveal the dialogues that are themselves massive limitations, investigate the validity of them. And I promise you, none of them are truths. Yep. They're just something that you believe. Obviously, the more you believe it, the longer it becomes for you a reality, then you know it becomes a little bit harder to overcome. But it's never a truth. It's just a conversation. Yeah, it's so good. I want to just remind you guys as well, one of the things that uh, Peter and I had discussed here too, is that, and that Peter had said, you have a choice. And you mm -hmm. need to take responsibility. I mentioned that quote earlier uh, from the Bible and that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And, and in, in, this, in this passage, they're really talking about life and death. Like you have a choice to go either way. And I want to encourage everybody on this. Listen, if you're struggling with a health issue, if you know you have emotional trauma from the past, you have a choice to not live as a victim. You have a choice to be known as an overcomer of somebody yeah. who is victorious in overcoming these things and have a big impact on the world and on your family and have a great life full of joy and happiness. But it's yeah. up to you. It's your choice. And I want to encourage you guys, check out uh, Peter's website. It's uh, You can go to petercrone.com and he does coaching um, and he also has an incredible program. And so you can go to his website again, petercrone.com. He's got an online course that I was looking through and it looks really powerful. Again, uh, Peter here is known as the mind architect. He has his just released his first online course. And in this series, he really goes through how to break, how to have emotional freedom, how to have spiritual freedom, how to create mm -hmm. breakthroughs in your life with your family, your relationships, in your career, whether you're a stay-at-home dad or mom, or you are a professional athlete or in the corporate world, whoever you are, again, you're going to see more, uh, I know, breakthroughs. And by the way, I've, I've had coaching in my life. I've had some incredible mentorship. And I think doing online courses like this, getting coaching, with another person is one of the greatest things you can ever do to experience breakthrough in your life. In fact, I've never, you know, paid for a course or coaching and it not been, you know, worth the money times probably three at least and in some cases times 10. So I want to encourage you guys, check out petercrone.com. Having these breakthroughs emotionally and mentally is so key to healing your soul to healing your body and all these things. I want to say, Peter, uh, I really enjoyed having you on. Any last words or thoughts uh, before we go? Uh, no, other than just, you know, thank you for having me on. And I appreciate you mentioning the course. It's uh, Free Your Mind. And I'm actually creating another one for, you know, the end of the year, which will be the fundamentals of the mind. Just sort of a basic introduction so people can understand, um, you know, what it is that they're up against. And I, and I really do... You know, I, I just feel very humbled uh, and grateful for opportunities like this. I really care immensely about the work that I get to do. I know people are doing the best they can within the limits of their current awareness. And I think that warrants a lot of sympathy and compassion. And I really do enjoy getting all of the feedback 
that people do, you know, experience these incredible breakthroughs. And I would assert that's why we're here as humans, right, is to expand beyond the constraints that we've been uh, bamboozled to believe that we're stuck within. And I, there's nothing more inspiring than to see someone overcome adversity like that. So uh, for sure, they can go to my website. Also, my Instagram is Peter Crone Official. There's a bunch of inspiring videos and content on there that people can check out and um yeah i'm just grateful to spend time with you my friend i feel like we're uh, we're we're old soulmates we were speaking yeah. the same language so it's great to spend time with you and and i really hope people got something from this just to be you know go easy on ourselves bring a little bit more love and self-acceptance and uh, it's amazing what can happen from there well, I appreciate you, Peter, and uh, I, I know that I learned some. I, I learned quite a bit uh, from our, our our conversation, and excited to um, you know share this with. I'm actually thinking of a few friends. I'm going to send this to. I just think awesome. what you do is so needed and so powerful and so transformative. So again, uh, Peter, Thank thanks you. for coming on. Thanks for everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another uh, podcast and show. And thanks again to our uh, special guest, Peter Crum. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was. Also, don't forget to follow me at Dr. Josh Axe there on Insta, where I cover the latest health trends, natural medicine, and so much more. Also, if you're loving this podcast, do me a big favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much for being on mission with me. See you next week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.